You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. <laughs> what did you think about the greatest gift that you've ever received or the greatest gift you've ever given? What is that gift? And don't say the Sunday school answer and say, Jesus, we're going to get to Jesus in just a minute. But uh, I want you to think about one of the greatest gifts you've ever gotten. And I think back to a time when I was a child and I remember being excited on Christmas. And one year I got the gift I really have been hoping for. And it was the Verdi Bird remote control helicopter. I love that Verdi Bird, man, because it could go around, up and down, all around, backwards. And what I would do is I'd make it hover and the cat was drawn to it because the cat thought it was a bird, and the cat would come up, and I'd go run into the cat, you know, and fur would fly. But then another gift I really loved when I was a kid was that G.I. Joe, okay? Do we know G.I. Joe, okay? Uh, young people today, your G.I. Joes are not the good G.I. Joes, okay? Your G.I. Joes are these wee little guys with... Uh, painted on hair, okay? The G.I. Joe from back in the day, and by the way, it's not a doll, it's an action figure. Just, let's just be clear about that right now. But the G.I. Joes, when I was a kid, dude was like two feet tall. He had real hair, a manly beard, and a scar across his cheek. This is G.I. Joe. And when I got my G.I. Joe, I took him, I made a parachute out of a handkerchief. I took him to the roof. I threw him off. He parachuted down, broke his leg, and completed the mission all at the same time. This is G.I. Joe, okay? Love me some G.I. Joe. But I remember one particular Christmas, you know, we're thinking about what gifts we wanted to get. And you know how before Christmas you start hinting around at what you want? Well, my mom had been hinting around all year to my dad that she wanted this ring, this particular ring for Christmas. And so uh, Christmas came and we were opening our presents and we're getting the ones underneath the tree. But every once in a while, there's one of those gifts where someone has to bring it in. You know what I'm saying? So my dad brings in my mom's Christmas gift that year. And uh, spoiler alert, not the ring. You know what he brings in? Ladies, check this out. He brings in an exercise bike. Exercise bike, ladies. So it did not go well for the Robbins family that year, because if mama's not happy, nobody's happy, and you know how things can go south. Now, in fairness to my dad, the next year he made things right, and he bought her a diamond ring to make up for it. But the reason that the ladies heard that and wanted to start killing someone uh, when they heard about the gift of an exercise bike is that we all know that there's meaning in every gift, you know? And so, ladies, I hope that your husband doesn't give you an exercise bike this year because there's meaning in every gift. But even though we know that griping about Christmas presents is kind of a first world problem, we also understand at the same time that there's great love expressed in a well thought out, carefully given gift. And so now let's get to the Jesus part because most of us here would say that Jesus is the greatest gift ever, and we're gonna read the Christmas story together, and I wanna ask you to stand with me, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word today. This is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Well, the answer is in verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea. 
They said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, Come back and tell, tell me so, so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they, cover, uh, they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. These are the very words of God. You may be seated. And so most of us may not know the Christmas story as much as we think we do, because in a lot of the carols and things, we hear like this Christmas carol, We Three Kings, and actually there weren't three kings there. They were magi or wise men, and there weren't necessarily three of them. There were three gifts given, but just because, you know, I give a gift to someone, uh, if I give them three gifts, it doesn't mean there's three of me, right? And so there's not necessarily three of these wise men, but there are just three gifts given. And also, our nativity scene shows the wise men at the nativity there when Jesus was being born, but the scripture says that he was at a house, right? That they came to a house to give these gifts, and so it was probably uh, after the birth had happened and Mary and Joseph had taken Jesus to a house somewhere. Um, But the thing that we wanna look at today is what made these wise men so wise. Well, they were, I guess, the elite intellectuals of their day. They were astrologers and astronomers and interpreters of dreams, and um, they were the wealthy intellectuals. But I think they were wise because they were humble enough to, to be willing to find Jesus among the poor. They found Jesus among the poor. And that's part of our journey here at City Church downtown, is that we find Jesus among the poor, and that's why... We thank you so much for all the things that you've brought over the past few weeks. This week, many of you brought Christmas gifts to give to other people within our church and uh, other people around our inner city. Last week, you guys brought food, and the week before that, you guys brought over 500 coats. And I talked to a principal from uh, uh, inner city Westside Elementary School just yesterday, and she took a little phone video of some of her kids thanking you for the coats, and so I thought I'd show you that video real quick. Take a look. Thank you, thank you. You know, one of the great things about that video and the kids at that school is that one of the little little guys, um, he asked for a bigger size coat. And when the principal asked him why he wanted a bigger size coat, he said, because I wanna share it with my brother. And she said, well, we got him a coat too. And this is how we find Jesus in the poor. That's part of our journey here. And one of the things that you've got to understand about City Church downtown is it's not a ministry for the poor. It's a ministry with the poor. And it's a big difference. Because ministry for the poor says, well, we're the good people or we're the people with resources. 
And you're the bad people, the people lower than us, and we're giving stuff down to you. But when you do ministry with the poor, you say, no, we're brothers and sisters and we're equal. And we share what we have with you because we love you. We're equal family. And so today, some bring Christmas gifts and others receive as equal family members as a part of the tribe of God. And I also thank you guys for bringing all those coats because you bailed me out because <laughs> I've made commitments to some of these inner city schools. But another reason why these wise men were so wise is because they realized that their wisdom was valuable but limited without the scriptures. They recognized that their own personal wisdom was, was of some value, but it was limited. It needed to be completed with the scriptures. And so these wise men were able to, according to Tim Keller, find out about the baby king with their own wisdom, but they found out where he was when they went and saw the prophecies that were in the scriptures. And if you notice, their own wisdom got them to Jerusalem, that when they heard the prophecies from Micah that were told by the priests, that got them pointed towards Bethlehem to find the king. And so all of us, we can learn that there's a God from looking at nature, but to find out who that God is, you have to look to the scriptures here. And one of the things that these wise men understood was that the wisdom of this world is dated. It changes all the time. What intellectuals believe a few years ago is sometimes embarrassing to talk about today. And so I want to take you back to a Time Magazine uh, article from 1966, and it made this bold prediction, remote shopping, while entirely feasible, will flop. Because women like to get out of the house, like to handle merchandise, like to be able to change their minds, okay? Some of that may be true, but how many of you purchased anything online over the past month? Anybody? Yeah, a bunch of us, right? So I guess remote shopping actually happened, didn't it? Didn't it? Here's another bold prediction by an intellectual, the CEO of Microsoft, Steve Ballmer. He said, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. Any iPhone users here today? Okay, that one didn't take place either, did it? Uh, what is popular now changes among the intellectual elites. In fact, um, we listen to our music in different forms in every generation, don't we? There are children up in Kid City right now who one day will make fun of us for the format in which we uh, listen to our music. And that's why I would agree with the great C.S. Lewis, uh, the scholar from Oxford and Cambridge, who said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And that's the truth. Many things come and go. Philosophies uh, ride like the waves, right? But the word of God remains forever. And if the wise men would have only listened to the popular thought of their day, they never would have found the unlikely birthplace of this baby king, Jesus, Bethlehem, was the place. It was a place of poverty where many shepherds and shepherdesses lived, and shepherds were considered to be the lowlife of the day. So Jesus was not born in a palace, but amongst the poor. And the thing about our Christmases is that they were kind of cleaned up, aren't they? I mean, we have these... Uh, um, you know, beautiful Christmas trees, and we have like pine-scented potpourri in the air for our Christmases, and we had these little nativity scenes with fluffy white sheep and all of that, and it's so clean, but the real Christmas wasn't so clean. Some people believe that Jesus was born in a cave, 
with sheep dung up to your ankles and flies everywhere. And Mary and Joseph didn't have like an HMO. They didn't have Obamacare. And Mary didn't have an epidural to birth the baby Jesus, but she had to feel the pain of the birth in a stinky stable in a poor town, Bethlehem. And one of the reasons why Bethlehem is so significant is not only because it was a place of poverty, but also because it was a place of prophecy. See, those of you that are skeptics and you've come with a friend today, or maybe you came with a relative you're in visiting, or maybe you just found out about this church and decided to check it out, one of the things you've got to understand is that we don't buy into all this stuff about Jesus just because this is what we've been told to believe all of our lives. We're looking at a historically valid document, the Holy Scriptures. And one of the things you've got to understand about the Bible is that it's actually two books. It's the Old Testament and New Testament, and the Old Testament was completely established as a book amongst religious Jews hundreds of years before the New Testament events even happened. And so there are these predictions that are made way back in the Old Testament that actually were fulfilled and came true in the New Testament, in the life of of Jesus. And I want to show you just a few of these Christmas predictions or prophecies. One is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That was a prophecy made by Micah the prophet, and it came true. It was predicted by Isaiah that he would be born of a virgin. That came true. It was predicted that children in the area would be killed by Jeremiah. It was predicted that he would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and King David by many different books from the Old Testament of the Bible, and that also came true. It was predicted that he had to flee Egypt as a child by the prophet Hosea, and that came true as well. Now, some people I understand, would say, well, Jesus just tried to self-fulfill these prophecies to make himself look like the Messiah. Well, ladies who have been pregnant and birthed babies, what would it take for the little baby fetus within you to convince you, while in utero, mind you, to get on a cart or a donkey or walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem while you're pregnant? That is one gifted, smart fetus, right? And so if Jesus could do this while he's in his mother's womb, if he's smart enough to trick his mom to walk pregnant from Nazareth to Bethlehem, I'll follow him, won't you? And so this is Jesus. These things are not coincidences, but they're fulfillments of prophecies. And so what led these wise men to this unlikely town of Bethlehem? We know from the story that it's the star and to understand the significance of the star, you have to kind of rewind in history to the days before Jesus was born, to the days of Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was uh, the king of Rome. Um, he proclaimed himself to be God. And he is associated with the star. And I'm going to show you why. Because the, uh, at the time of his death, um, during his funeral, there was some type of astrological event where there was a bright light in the sky. And so uh, some people believe that it was the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn that created this bright light. Some people think it was a supernova. Others think it was a comet. But I brought a coin for you today that I'll show you on screen. And it's a coin of Caesar on one side. And then on the other side, you can see the star there of what they called the divine Caesar because they believed him to be God. And I'll show you what a Roman historian, Suetonius, said um, as the funeral celebrations were getting underway. He said, a comet shone 
for seven successive days, rising about the 11th hour and was believed to be the soul of Caesar. And so they believed because of this star that Julius Caesar was God. And his son, who would be the next king of Rome, was Caesar Augustus, and that was the king during the birth of Jesus. So if Julius Caesar was God, then who is Caesar Augustus? The son of God, according to some ancients. And that's going to be significant for our conversation here in just a minute. But let me show you another reason the wise men were considered to be wise was because what they did when they found this baby this is strange that these men from the east would come and they would find this little baby in a humble place and they would bow down and worship him. They worshiped him. And that's an amazing act of faith on their part. I want to show you a quote from the Bishop of Liverpool. His name is J.C. Ryle, and look what he said. These wise men, they saw no miracles to convince him. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak and needing a mother's care like any one of ourselves. And yet when they saw that infant, they believed that they saw the divine savior of the world. They fell down and worshiped him. We read of no greater faith than this in the whole volume of the Bible. So this scholar says, we don't see any greater faith in the whole Bible than these men who, although they had not seen Jesus teach, they had not seen him do any miracles, and they certainly didn't see him rise again from the dead, yet even though they didn't see, they still believed, and they bowed down to worship him, and they thought out their gifts. Let me show you the gifts. The first gift was gold. Gold is the metal of kings. And so what they're saying by this gift, they're not just giving a random gift, that they're making a political statement as well as a spiritual statement. They're saying we give this baby gold because Caesar is not God. This baby Jesus, he is the king. He is God. But the second gift they give is also telling. It's the gift of frankincense. That's the gift of a mediator. It's an incense. It's a smell. In fact, we're burning some up here somewhere. It was coming out earlier. And so if you kind of had a flashback to Catholic Mass, peace be with you and with you, right? So uh, maybe you remember that scent. But frankincense was used in the temple worship. It would be mixed with oil, and then they would anoint the head of the priest as a mediator between God and man. So the priest's role was to help man be able to connect with God, kind of a middleman, if you will. And so as these wise men give this gift of frankincense, what they're saying is there is one mediator between God and man, and it is this baby Jesus who is God incarnate. And so Caesar Augustus is not the son of God. The baby Jesus is the son of God. But look at the third gift. They give him the gift, and this is a strange gift here, myrrh, okay? Myrrh is actually was something used to embalm and prepare dead bodies. That's a weird gift, isn't it? So ladies, you're at your baby shower and someone brings like embalming fluid or like a casket to give to your baby as a gift at the, the wedding shower. That's strange in the first century culture. It's, it's, it's strange in any culture and certainly today. But this gift was a gift of faith by these wise men because they believed that this baby would grow up to die on the cross to pay the penalty 
for my sins and for yours. They saw this baby's future death as a gift to you and I. And these wise men knew the significance of the cross even before it happened. This is how wise they were. And they realized that this revealed the love of the giver, Father God. Now, one of the most significant gifts given by many people, and particularly many of the men in this room here today, is remember when you gave the gift of an engagement ring. Remember that story? One of the fun things for me when I get to perform wedding ceremonies is that I'll ask the husband, how did you propose to your lady? And I hear some really great stories, and it made me think about um, when I proposed to my wife, Jeannie. It was many years ago, and we were both in college, and I planned it all out. She told me exactly what she wanted in a ring, and she actually drew it out on a piece of paper. And so I took that little drawing, and I went to another city, and I took it to a jeweler, and I had him create that ring. And I had to work all summer out in the hot sun, you know, to um, be able to afford to buy this ring for my lady. And then I didn't tell her I got the ring. I kept it a secret, right? And I kept it in a little fuzzy box, you know? And then I asked her out on a date one night, and I planned it all out. I got these wine glasses that we were going to take out with us. I got a blanket. And for the wine glasses, I had this, like, non-alcoholic sparkling cider because we went to a Baptist school, and they didn't allow you to drink alcohol there. They kicked you out of school. So I didn't want to get kicked out of school before I got married. So I went ahead and took the sparkling cider, and I took my wife, Jeannie, or my, my then, uh, you know, girlfriend to this place called Swan Lake. And it was out in the country, this big lake. These big swans were going across on the lake, and it was at night. And I laid out the blanket, and we sat down on the blanket, and we filled up those wine glasses with that sparkling cider, and we drank it. And, okay, I, I know it's hard for you to imagine me doing this, but I moved in for the kiss, right? I moved in. I, I was kissing her, right, like on the lips and everything. And then um, <laughs> as... Uh, you know, I was, I was kissing her there. Mid-kiss, mind you, I reach into my pocket for the fuzzy box, and I get the box out, and then I had to kind of open it one-handed while keeping her occupied in the kiss. And I open the box just like this, right? And I pull away from the kiss, and look, I'm not blowing this up. I'm not embellishing this to make it sound more romantic than what it was, but I'm telling you, that little bitty diamond on that ring was glistening in the moonlight, dude. It was enchanting. I'm just telling you uh, right now. <clears throat> and so when she saw that diamond glistening in the moonlight, she just started going, ah, 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 like this. And I said, Jeannie, I love you. Will you marry me? And she said, I said, does that mean yes? And she said, yeah, yeah. And she hugs me like this. And when we got, she couldn't wait to get back to campus. And she got all left-handed on me, right? She's like, hi, hi. Anybody notice anything different? Hi. This kind of deal. And here's the thing, is that she knew before I ever asked the question, when she saw the diamond, she knew that the gift reveals the love of the giver. And that love has actually kept us together for 27 years now, and I'm threatening another 27. <laughs> That's what I'm threatening. But here's the deal, is that the gift reveals the love of the giver. And what you've got to understand is that um, God loved you so much that he went to great pains, great detail to purchase the ring of your redemption. He spent thousands of years preparing. Many prophets making hundreds of predictions about the ring of your redemption. 
Jesus Christ. He did it all to show you how valuable you are to him. But you know, he can go to all that trouble to present you with the ring. And it doesn't matter for you if you say no. But you know, you have the opportunity today to say yes as he offers you his cross. All you have to do is say yes. And so with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer? And as we bow before the Lord, Perhaps someone's realizing, I was brought here, I was directed by a strange set of circumstances, and God brought me here to introduce himself to me. And so what I'd like you to do is just in your own heart and mind, you don't have to say any specific words, it's just really more the attitude of your heart. If you'd like to begin a relationship with God today, just pray something like this. God, I know I've sinned, and God, right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe, I say yes. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I welcome you into my life. And the best I know how, Father, I receive the ring and say yes to you. So welcome in. Father, I wanna thank you for those who just prayed that. Now as we move on to our second prayer, this prayer is for some of you children who have wandered away from your good father. Maybe you've relapsed and these thoughts keep coming into your mind. Well, maybe God bailed out on me because I bailed out on him and I want you to know that even when you bail out, he does not bail out. He's a good father who's unconditionally in love with you and protects your salvation. And what I want you to understand today from God's word is that you're not dirty. You're, the Bible says, as white as snow, clean before the Father. You're not bad, but you're blessed. And so I want you to pray something like this. Father, I've relapsed, I've struggled, and I know that none of my struggles, none of my sins, that thing I did that makes me feel so guilty is not more powerful than the cross. And so I choose to walk back towards you. And though I've strayed away from you, God, I choose to come back. I'm compelled by your love. Father, your kindness has led me to repentance and change. And this third prayer is for those of us that we've not wandered away and we're walking with God and we know we're secure in his love. But we want to commit today to share this greatest gift because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep the gift and hoard it and never share it with others. And as some of us go to the homes of people that we love, we're going to make a commitment today to share this great gift of Jesus Christ and this gospel with family members and friends. And so let's pray something like this. Father, I don't want to be one who hoards the gift, but I want to share the gift. And I pray that you would put a passion and a burden in my heart for people that I would not be so prideful that I'm afraid to, to, to speak forth and to say something about your truth. And Father, by your spirit, give me the words. Holy Spirit, guide me to the people that I need to have spiritual conversation with. And I'm gonna commit myself to share your gospel with others in a way that they can receive it. And they will see the love in my eyes. They will not see the judgment in me, but they will see someone that loves them so much that I'm willing to put myself out there to them to share with them the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ, that we can have forgiveness of sins and have our lives changed in redemption. So, Father, for each of these prayers, we offer them in faith.
based upon your word, which is true throughout time. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.